I'm Miss Tyler, and welcome to this week's episode of Context for Kids, where I teach you guys stuff most adults don't even know. This is your first time hearing, or if you've missed anything, you can find all the episodes archived at contextforkids.podbean.com, which has them downloadable, or at contextforkids.com, where I have transcripts for readers, or on my Context for Kids YouTube channel. Parents, all scripture this week comes from the MTV, the Miss Tyler version which is the Christian Standard Bible, tweaked a bit to make it easier for kids to understand the content and the context without having to read the entire chapter every week. So anyway, hey there, welcome to Genesis chapter 15, one of the most exciting chapters in the entire Bible. So much is going to happen here, and because of what happens here, that we'll be talking about this all the way through the Gospels and even through the end of the Bible, because this is the chapter where God promises Abram that he will pay the price for our sins someday. But what does that mean? Well, that means Jesus, of course, but it also means that God has never believed that we could be absolutely perfect or get everything right. Do you remember what God said after Noah sacrificed all those critters after they got off the ark? God said something like, these dudes are hopeless and they are always going to have evil thoughts. I won't destroy them all ever again because it just won't solve the problem. I'll give them the rainbow to look at after it rains so they can be reminded that I made a promise and when I look at it, I'll remember my promise too. You know, God must get really frustrated with our nonsense, right? But he also loves us. He made a decision to do a new thing after the flood. And it's a good thing, too, because stuff went wrong with Noah's family right away. What was God's new thing? And just so you know, God does new things all the time. He even says so in the Bible. Now, instead of starting out with two new people in a perfect garden paradise, God's going to take a man and his wife who live in Babylon and have no kids and make a new kind of people out of them. They're going to be different from the rest of the world because they will know the real God who created the heavens and the earth and every amazing thing that happens to them will be because God made it happen. They will live miraculous lives. Not perfect lives or easy lives, but lives full of miracles and signs and wonders. And they'll both learn to trust God. Mostly because they will find out that bad stuff happens when they don't. Not so different from you and me, right? Now, a quick bit of background here because two weeks have gone by since our last lesson on Abram. Do you remember the four kings and how they went to war against the five wicked kings? And how they kidnapped everyone, including Abram's nephew Lot, and took all of their critters and food and stuff. And how Abram and his buddies went after them and chased them all the way out of the land of Canaan and rescued everyone and their stuff and brought them back so they wouldn't be sold as slaves. And then Abram met Melchizedek, the good king of Salem, which would be known later as Jerusalem. And Melchizedek loved God. And the wicked king of Sodom, who told him that he could go ahead and keep all the stuff like it was his to give away, right? Wrong. But he wanted all the people for himself, which sounds pretty sketchy. 
I think he wanted them so that he could be the only king and have a bunch of slave labor, but that's just my opinion. One way or another, this guy was bad news. Abram told him to take a long hike off a short cliff. But Abram resisted the temptation to take the stuff, and he didn't take Lot back either. Lot was living with those evil people on purpose before the war. Then afterward, he went right back to live with them again. Abram did not need that kind of hassle in his life. So finally, Abram's done absolutely everything that God told him to back in chapter 12. He's left his family and his land and followed God to the promised land. What will God do next? So let's read Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 2. After all that happened... Well, how long after all that happened? Well, we don't know. After all that happened, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Don't be scared, Abram. I am your protector. Your reward for trusting me will be very great. Whoa. Dang, that would be really cool, right? How Abram handled all of that made God really happy. Remember that some days... Abram trusts God a lot, and then some days he just doesn't. Just the same as everyone else. But Abram is learning. He doesn't need to fight wars to get money or slaves or land or anything like that. All Abram needs is what God gives him. And this is actually the only time we will ever see Abram fighting was in chapter 14. In fact, this is the only war in the whole book of Genesis. None of the patriarchs of the children of Israel, which is what we call Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, well, none of them will go to war. Except this one time. And, uh, you know, God does all their fighting for them. In fact, we will see that that's usually what happens in general when God is the one who wants them to fight. They often don't end up doing much or any fighting at all. But that's a story for another time. So, Abram made God happy by finally doing everything he'd been told to do in the first place. And Lot would have been way better off if Abram had left him back in Haran, for sure. You know, sometimes other people get all the bad consequences when we don't do what's right. Lot made mistakes that he wouldn't have had the opportunity to make if he'd stayed with the rest of his family as a younger man who needed to obey the elders of his community. He was on his own when he was way too young and foolish. And so now we get a new thing in the Bible. Abram has a vision. That means we need to talk about what a vision is and what it isn't. A vision isn't a dream, but it's like a dream. When we dream, it's because we're asleep. But visions happen when we are awake. A dream can be from God or just our brains taking out the garbage at night. Have you ever dreamed about something you saw on TV or did in school or a place you went? Well, those are the kind of dreams I'm talking about when I say our brains are taking out the garbage. If you've seen a scary dream after seeing something scary... That's usually your brain trying to deal with information that just doesn't belong there. Dreams from God are entirely different. When I have a dream from God, it isn't usually telling me the future or anything. 
it's usually God showing me that he needs to fix something in my life or he's telling me something that I can't hear when I'm awake because I'm not listening or I don't want to hear. <laughs> God never tells me anything in a dream that, you know, I really want to hear. In fact, God rarely wastes his time telling me anything I want to hear because I don't need to hear the things that I already agree with, right? So visions are like that, but different. In a vision, you are wide awake, but you see things the way God sees them. And God can talk to you in ways that he otherwise couldn't because we'd flip out and maybe even die if we saw him, you know, how he really is up close and personal. The presence of God is very powerful, and so he protects us from it because he doesn't want to hurt us. Although sometimes he does give us a good dose of it when, you know, we need to seriously be dealt with. You know, years ago, I was in the bathtub thinking about stuff and talking to God. And all of a sudden I said, you know what, God, I know I should trust you and respect you, but I really don't. And it's not like a switch I can flip on. So if you want me to respect you, then you're going to have to do something pretty drastic. And then I had a vision that changed my life because God was standing right in front of me the way that the prophet Ezekiel saw him. His legs were like burning metal, and I could feel how hot they were even in the cold bathwater, and his chest and arms were like gleaming white like the purest silver, and his eyes were like fire, and I just rolled over in the tub and hid and was so terrified. And once he'd answered my prayer, because, you know, that's what it was, I was praying to know him well enough to respect him. Anyway, once he answered my prayer, he never had to do anything like that ever again. He doesn't go around scaring people, but I knew that it was a problem in my life that I didn't really understand and appreciate how awesome and powerful he was. And so he showed me. And so that was a good thing, even though I try not to think about it very much. That was not a dream because I was awake. That was God visiting me in a vision. And if it hadn't been a vision, I probably would have been burnt to a crisp. It might sound like God wanted me to be scared, but that isn't the case at all. God just knew that I couldn't know him like I need to unless I knew he was all powerful. And now because I know that and because he's proven to me how much he loves me by sticking with me even when, you know, times are just awful, his power makes me feel safe. And his power can make you feel safe too. But we do need to know that he isn't like us or like our parents or teachers or leaders or anyone we have or will ever meet. Our job is to become more and more like him. We do that by becoming like Jesus. That's why we're called image bearers in Genesis 1. Our job is to look as much like him as possible in how we act so that the world will want to know him and not avoid him. Now, sometimes the way we act makes people want to avoid God entirely. God has a number of jobs to do in each of us so that he can rule over our hearts and our minds and our actions. He has to gain our trust, our respect, and our loyalty. That means that we have to believe that whatever he is telling us really is the best thing we can do or not do that his judgment is way better than ours and 
that he is way smarter, and that we owe it to him to cooperate with his plans for our lives and lives of everyone around us. And that's not easy because we tend to believe that we're the ones who know best. So God didn't tell me, don't be afraid, when he gave me that vision because I needed to be afraid right then and there. I haven't needed to be afraid ever again, let me tell you. But in the Bible, there are many examples of God, Jesus, and the angels telling people, don't be afraid or fear not. Right here with Abram, this is the first time in the Bible that anyone says it to anyone. When Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God didn't tell them, don't be afraid, because what they'd done was incredibly serious, and they really did need to be more than a bit scared. Throughout the Bible, when God or the angels appear in some way to humans, usually the first thing they say is, don't be afraid. Because if God wants to deliver a message, it doesn't do any good if the person runs away or faints or screams and pees their pants, which I definitely would do. God knows that seeing an angel is very alarming, and so they have to make us understand that they aren't here to scare us to death or to hurt us. And as scary as it has to be when it's an angel, imagine when it's God. And that's what we see happening here in Abram's vision. God appeared to him and began to speak to him. But wait a minute. It doesn't say that God appeared to Abram, but the word of the Lord. And that's a bit more complicated. And this is also the first time that we see that in the Bible too. So this is a big verse. Sometimes the word of the Lord just means whatever it is that the Lord said. And sometimes it seems very much to mean like a person, like maybe Jesus or a messenger angel. I guess that makes sense, though, that God's words would be more than just words like you or I would say. So it can be confusing, but don't worry about it. We can't figure everything out because our brains are too small and God is just too big. And it's okay not to know everything because there won't be a test. And you can love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and never have even the slightest idea what this means. So what does the word of the Lord say in Abram's vision? I am your protector, or it says your shield. Your reward for trusting me will be very great. Well, how do you think Abram will respond to that? Will he fall down on the ground? Will he say, thanks? Will he ask questions? We'll have to wait until next week to find out because I want to talk about Jesus and when he had to say, don't be afraid. When he said it, it wasn't because he was scary or threatening, but because he didn't want people to worry about things that they couldn't control or about what people might do to them if they followed him. For Jesus... Do not be afraid was always about trusting that God has things figured out and really does love us. Now, when God was dealing with Abram, Abram was really rich. He had a ton of critters and servants, and then he got even more from Pharaoh. Abram didn't have to be scared of a lot of things that the people who lived at the time of Jesus were scared of. Abram had men who could even fight for him if he needed them to. Even when there was a famine and there was no food in the land of Canaan, Abram just up and went to Egypt where there was plenty of food. 
Remember when we learned about Naomi and Ruth last week? How there was a famine in the land and Naomi and her family had to move away, but she came back with nothing? Well, that's like the opposite of Abram. He never worries about having enough stuff. That sort of thing always works out for Abram. But the Jewish people during the time of Jesus had lived through many hundreds of difficult years where their country was passed from one world power to the next. First, they were taken over by the Babylonians who destroyed their walls and Jerusalem and the temple. Then the Persians and the Medes. Well, that's when Haman tried to have them all killed. And then the Greeks took over and things got really bad because they wouldn't let the Jews keep God's commandments and would even kill them when they tried. As if all of that wasn't bad enough, for a while the Jews got their country back, but the rulers in charge became even more wicked than the pagan Gentiles from the other nations, and the people suffered terribly. And finally, because of all that, the Romans were able to just step in and take over and they were charging the people so much in taxes that they were losing the land God had given them. And most people were very poor and dying very young. One out of every three babies died before their first birthday. And more than two out of three were dead before they turned 18. They had terrible diseases because they didn't have enough good food. And the head lice and their teeth were rotten when they were only about 30 years old. So... When Jesus was talking to the Jewish people, they were a very different audience than when God talked to Abram. The movies really don't do a very good job of showing what life was like. And the Bible tells us that Jesus felt just awful for how much they were suffering. He said they were like sheep without a shepherd, which meant they were in danger. But Jesus was also angry, and there were some people he told to be afraid. He told the people who were suffering to fear not, and he was telling the people who were getting rich and powerful by hurting their fellow Jews and or just not helping them, you know, that they needed to be afraid, really afraid of what was going to happen when God judged them. You see, there were some people called the Sadducees, and they didn't believe that anything was going to happen after they died. And they figured they should enjoy life now and that it was totally okay to get rich by hurting and robbing other people. You want to know what was even worse? They were the highest ranking priests in the whole land of Judea where Jerusalem was. The normal priests, they were mostly poor people just like everyone else, but the most powerful priests were very wicked during those days. I mean, if someone doesn't think that God will someday make things right, then why would they bother to behave themselves at all? They didn't believe that anyone would be raised from the dead. They didn't believe that God was going to reward the people who had done what was right or that he would make things good for the people who had suffered or that the people who made them suffer would face the consequences of it, even if they got off scot-free in this life. I mean, anyone can see that there are terrible people who do awful things, who pretty much get away with it, right? Bullies who keep on bullying and thieves who keep on stealing. And it's awful, but it won't always be unfair like that. Jesus told the people who were suffering not to be afraid because they weren't the ones who needed to be worried in the long run. That when we die and we come back and Jesus is king, everything will be different and the people with power will be 
the people who were kind and generous and faithful and the people who were wicked and greedy and violent aren't going to be very happy. Because we know everything will be good and right in the end, we don't have to worry so much about the things that other people worry about. Are we going to worry anyway? Yeah, we will. We are perfect. I mean, even Jesus on the night before he died was very upset because he knew it would be very terrible. But he trusted God. And he knew that his suffering wouldn't last forever, but being with his father would be forever. And if Jesus knew that, then we can know it too. But when we don't believe that things will be all right in the kingdom of God, then it's really hard to deal with all the unfair stuff that's happening right now. Sometimes the bad stuff is big and sometimes the bad stuff small, but we never like having to go through it. When you are going through something terrible, imagine Jesus putting his arm around you and saying, fear not. Things are hard and sad right now, but it isn't forever. I promise that in my kingdom, this sort of thing will never happen. You will always feel safe and things will always be fair. But what about when we aren't doing what's right? Well, what happened to Cain? God told Cain to watch out because if he didn't control his temper, his life was going to get really bad. God didn't lightning bolt Cain's butt or anything or kill him. God actually protected Cain so that he wouldn't be killed even though he killed his brother Abel. Even though Cain was punished, God didn't throw him away like a piece of garbage. I believe that God always hoped that Cain would wake up, realize he was so wrong, and come back. It was totally Cain's choice. And it's our choice too. God is so patient with us. And even when people are doing wrong, he's trying to get them to do right instead. What we need to be afraid of isn't God, but ourselves. God doesn't want everyone to be terrified of him because he wants our love and respect and trust and loyalty. God wants us to be scared of disobeying him, not because he wants us to be afraid of him all the time, but because when we disobey him, bad things happen to us and the people around us. A lot of people are scared of God because grown-ups in their lives have hurt them very badly. And when that happens, it seems like God must be mean too and that we can't trust him. Sometimes people who teach about God make him sound like someone who is just waiting for you to do one thing wrong and then you're in big trouble. But is that what we've seen anywhere in the Bible? Has God been quick to get angry and lash out at people who have made bad choices? Even the worst possible choices? Or does he try to get them to come back to him and do what's right? Cain killed his brother. Noah got super drunk and passed out in his tent. His son Ham found out and humiliated him in front of everyone. Abram lied and got his wife into terrible trouble. Lot keeps making terrible choices and the worst are still to come. But God doesn't give up on any of them. People get even when they're angry, but God tries and tries and tries until there is no choice but to step in. He wants the right things to be done, but what he really wants is for us to do what's right. And doing what is right and good and true can sometimes be the scariest thing of all. But when we trust God and trust that he knows best, we can know that what we are doing is the right thing no matter what happens. When David had the chance to kill the man who was trying to kill him, 
He didn't do it. No one would have blamed him, but he knew that it was God's job to make things right, and God did finally take care of the situation. Joseph had the chance to let his brother starve to death or go to prison forever for selling him as a slave, but he trusted God instead. Abigail was risking her life when she went to David and begged him not to kill the people in her household when her husband really insulted David. But it was the right thing to do. They all trusted in what was right and in God. I love you and I'm praying for you and I know it's easy to be afraid and we usually can't help it. But if you ask God to help you to fear not, then He'll help you feel the right feelings at the right times, even if you do scream if you ever see an angel.